So, Rachel. Yeah? Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Kirk and company defy higher orders and take the Enterprise on a mission across space to resurrect their comrade, Spock. Whoa. So, as you know, you've made me watch Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. So, I wonder how long it's been in between. If straight after, they can follow the ion trail his coffin took. Or maybe they sent it somewhere specific. It went to the Genesis planet. Oh. We saw that at the end of the last movie. All right. Will they have to make an android body for him? I wouldn't trust Mud with that. Mm -hmm. And that orb love triangle from Return to Tomorrow, they just sodded off, didn't they? So they're no help. No. It would be really weird if he's an android from now on, so I don't think so. A time travel thing? Or they realise, oops, he was just in a Vulcan self-healing trance and we ejected him alive because McCoy hasn't done that sabbatical? (laughs) Maybe there's now a cure and his body was kept perfectly preserved by some cryogenic thing nicked from Khan. Mm. It could be a quest where they visit several planets for the materials or the knowledge they need to do it. Or does an alien race have Spock? This one's impossible. No doubt Spock will just have fallen in love when they find him and force him back onto the ship. (laughs) Those are pretty good guesses. Thanks. Rachel watches Star Trek. USS Enterprise Captain's personal log. With most of our battle damage repaired, we're almost home. Yet, I feel uneasy. And I wonder why. Perhaps it is the emptiness of this vessel. Most of our trainee crew have been reassigned. Lieutenant Savick and my son David are exploring the Genesis planet, which he helped create. And Enterprise feels like a house with all the children gone. No. More empty even than that. The death of Spark is like an open wound. It seems that I have left the noblest part of myself back there on that newborn planet. Aww. Welcome to Rachel Watches Star Trek. If you're joining us here from Trek Back on BBC America, then this is the first movie that we've covered. If you are listening much later when we've already covered two movies, this was recorded in March 2019 for the Best of Spock Marathon on BBC America. That's right. Now, I did, for the record, make Rachel watch Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan before we saw this movie because it's pretty integral to this and it would spoil a bunch of Star Trek II, so I felt like it was necessary. Yes. (laughs) We skipped Star Trek The Motion Picture because I think everybody knows why. Uh, Uh So let's get into this movie. The film starts off with the death scene and the oh. eulogy from Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. In a smaller screen within a screen with a filter on, like showing the distance from it or like it's a memory. I, I tear up oh. every time Spock's death scene and the eulogy. It just gets me. I can't help it. And this was lovely writing, the captain's log from Kirk. It's exposition, but it's well done. And I really felt his loss there. Me too. Yeah, I feel it. I got a little... A little choked oh. up just hearing him say that stuff. Ooh. Oh. I'm not going to cry. Oh. I'm not going to cry. Okay. Go ahead. I'm okay. As a result of Khan's attempt to kill Kirk using the Genesis device, Spock is dead. Mm. And a new planet has been created from the matter within the Mutara Nebula. The crew is heading back to port aboard the Enterprise for essential repairs. Kirk touches the back of Spock's empty chair. 
Such lovely, subtle gestures of the loss they're all suffering. I haven't watched this movie in many years because it was one of my least favorite Star Trek movies. But upon this rewatching, it's actually really good. Mm, I thought so. Kirk asked Chekhov to take the science station, Spock's old post, for the pre-approach scan. Mm, Chekhov looks a bit wary, but follows the order. We find out in this scene that all along, Scotty has been multiplying his repair estimates by four so that he can seem like a miracle worker when he gets it done quicker. <laughs> what did you think of that? Uh, well, I think it's a bit of a joke, but also there might be some truth to it. Yeah. Work is easier if you're not in a rush. <laughs> and you can keep exceeding expectations. Right. Yeah, exactly. But I think maybe if things are dire and important, mm. you, you probably wouldn't throw that multiple on there. They don't usually give them the choice, do they? No. It'll take two hours. Do it in two minutes. <laughs> well, you got two minutes. <laughs> do what you can. I wonder how long they've been away then. It feels like it hasn't been too long. Maybe just a few weeks. Hmm. Meanwhile, off in space, a freighter with a Klingon woman, Valkris, is waiting for her lover, the warrior Krug. Krug is in a huge Klingon bird of prey. This is the first time I've seen the new Klingons. Yes, they've been shown briefly at the beginning of Star Trek The Motion Picture. You haven't watched that yet at the time of this recording. So is this the first time most people have seen a lot of them then? Yeah, oh yeah. Oh. They're only in there for just a couple minutes. Oh, right. Yeah. They're the proper wrinkly-headed type of ones this time. But I suppose it beats a sparkly sash and a threadbare beard. <laughs> I don't want to look at them, though. <laughs> you don't? No. You better get used to it because there is no shortage of Klingons in future Trek. Oh. So Valkyrie sends data Krug's ship about Project Genesis. Unfortunately, she has seen the data, so Krug reluctantly decides he must kill her. Ooh. He blows up the ship. Oh, man, I was too busy working out where I knew that mouth from. He's Doc from Back to the Future. That's right. Christopher Lloyd. He was from TV's Taxi. This movie predates Back to the Future by a year. Mm -hmm. Another one of the Klingons is played by TV star John LaRoquette, who was from the popular 80s TV sitcom Night Court. Oh. He played Dan Fielding, for those of you that remember Night Court. It was a big deal in oh, the 80s. okay. So Krug destroys this freighter, and he no longer has to pay the freighter's crew for their work. Oh, this is the opposite of save the cat, I'm guessing. Yes. To communicate that he's ruthless and he follows his own rules. Oh, yeah. Ruthless and cruel. Krug sets course for the Federation Klingon neutral zone and orders one of his crew to feed his pet, which is like this kind of big, slimy dog mm. thing with no lips. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Why is it so slimy? Mm, yeah. Uh, the Enterprise reaches Earth and approaches the space dock. I didn't get it was Earth. I thought it was a space station. So is this my first time on present day Earth? Yes. Fair present day. I know what you meant. Mm -hmm. When they approach, they see a new ship, the USS Excelsior, a part of the Great Experiment, an attempt at transwarp drive. Oh, is that the experiment? The transwarpness? Well, yeah, Transwarp is dropped from the Federation after this movie. This it's kind too of, fast. Well, they bring it up and then they kind of drop it. Mm -hmm. uh, in this movie, it seems like the Excelsior has a working Transwarp engine, but in future Trek and into the next generation, they don't have Transwarp. Well, Sulu's impressed, but not Scotty. If my grandmother had wheels, she'd be a wagon. <laughs> Sorry about that, everyone. I thought I could do a Sky Jackson better than that. What does that mean? You know, you got me. I have no idea what he's talking about here. Maybe if you slap something on something, it doesn't really change what it is. Mm. But yeah, it just sounds crazy. Guy looks a lot older than the others now. 
Doohan was 64 when this was released. Same age as DeForest. He seems much more granddaddy-ish yeah. than DeForest. Well, he's definitely put on a lot of weight. He has. The others have kept things pretty tight. They have. After the Enterprise is moored at the space docks, Chekhov tells Kirk that someone has entered Spock's quarters. Uhura adds that the sealed room's door was forced open. Ooh. Kirk goes down to investigate. Great mystery. Kirk enters slowly through the damaged doors. Kirk grabs a shadow figure. It's McCoy. <gasps> Help me, Jim. Take me home. Bones, we are. We are home. Then perhaps it's not too late. Climb the steps, Jim. Climb the steps of Mount Saleya. Saleya? Bones, Mount Saleya is on Vulcan. We're home. On Earth. Remember. What? McCoy possessed? Uh, yeah, I'm a little annoyed that Kirk drops this so quickly. <laughs> like, he just kind of thinks Spock's death is hard on McCoy. As if. But he says some crazy stuff, and Vulcans, you know, have mind powers. And mm. there's, like, just kind of put two and two together here, Kirk. Oh. Like, really quickly, maybe. You, yeah, you know Spock really well. And McCoy. And McCoy. Oh, yeah. McCoy doesn't do things like this. I mean, Spock, who knows, because this is a new superpower that we find out that Spock has. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, it's not been set up before, has no, it? No, not at all. And McCoy is acting really strange, giving very specifics about Vulcan. Like, I would be like, wait, something's going on here. <laughs> Let's write this down, even though, if only for a joke. <laughs> exactly. So now that they're docked, they are met by Admiral Harry Morrow, who has the most magnificent mustache I think I've ever seen. Ooh, he's stashing it up. He says that they're going to give the crew the highest commendations that they can and an extended shore leave. Scott is being promoted to the rank of captain and will serve as chief engineer aboard the Excelsior. Yeah, don't give him shore leave, for goodness sake. <laughs> you know what happens then? <laughs> Does captain not always mean you are the captain then? No, captain is a rank, but it's also a position on the ship. Hmm. So you could be maybe just ranked commander, but you might have to become the captain of a ship. He's going to be assigned to the Excelsior, but Scott would rather refit the Enterprise. No, no surprises there. He loves that ship. <laughs> Morrow says that the Enterprise is to be decommissioned. It's 20 years old and we feel her day is over. Oh, at least they don't feel that way towards Scotty. Kirk hopes that the Enterprise will be able to return to Genesis, but Genesis has become a galactic controversy. Morrow says, consider it Quarantine Planet, a forbidden subject. This was intriguing. What's happened? Mm-hmm. Kirk is never going to take this lion down, though. He'll go rogue, I'm sure. Yeah. On the Bird of Prey, Krug and his officers, Maltz and Torg, view the Project Genesis data. Krug hates the idea of the Federation making new planets for themselves. He resolves to go to Genesis and seize whatever he can on the Genesis torpedo for the preservation of their race. Torpedo? Of course, he's a Klingon, so he sees it through the eyes of weapons. Yeah. So the USS Grissom, with Lieutenant Savick and Dr. Marcus... Kirk's son, arrives at Genesis. They begin doing their sensor exploration of the planet from the ship. Now, her Vulcan mullet perm is pretty intense. It's quite hard to get past. Yeah. Rama Curtis, she does a good acting job, but she is no Kirstie Alley. Oh. <laughs> I mean, she's not. And it's pretty hard to do Vulcan acting on top of it all. Right, yeah. It's hard to convey charisma and nuance when you can't move your face. Well, you can move your face, you just can't express emotion. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Kirstie Alley didn't want to be typecasted, so she turned down the role for the second hey, movie. Yeah. It's the same character. I, I know. True. That's just confusing. So scans of Spock's photon torpedo casket on the surface detect some kind of life forms, but they can't identify what it is. How do they know it's Spock's casket? They were at his funeral. Oh, were they? <laughs> yes. Oh, Kirstie Alley. 
Yes. Yeah, I'm really confused. And I only saw the other one, you know, a couple of days before this one. Sure, that's all right. <laughs> I think I knew I wasn't really on the clock when I was watching the middle one. So oh, I didn't really I take see. it in properly. Oh, for shame. Come on. For shame. They convince Captain Esteban to allow them to beam down and investigate. Esteban keeps Starfleet in the loop with their every move. He wants nothing beamed aboard until risk of contamination has been eliminated. Good for him. Yeah. <laughs> He's not like Kirk, is he? More sense, more rules, eh? But also a much more slappable face <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> at kirk's apartment in san francisco was it yeah oh i didn't get that how much time's passed since they got back to earth yeah maybe a day or two oh right i don't know well i didn't even know they were on earth at that point did i so confused they don't really make it clear mm -hmm. they don't have like a good shot of the planet earth with recognizable continents it's there but mm. you're focused more on the awesome space station yes so kirk sulu Chekhov, and ahura toast to an absent friend there's a meme that it's going around it's a picture of them toasting to absent friends and these are the four surviving cast Aww. members yeah. oh wow kirk tells them that the enterprise is to be decommissioned Sarek shows up just out of the blue uh, and demands to have a word with Kirk alone. Pa, that jerk. He looks good, though. What do you mean he looks good? He's aged well, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he's a silver fox and all that. When they're alone, Sarek lays into Kirk about not following Spock's final wishes. And Kirk is like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And Sarek is looking for Spock's spirit, his Katra. Kirk is still confused by all of this. And then Sarek gets bored of having a conversation about it and suggests a meld instead. Yeah. I think you probably really let your communication skills slip when you can just read people's minds. Yeah. After that mind meld, Sarek knows that Kirk is Spock free and Kirk explains that they couldn't touch because of the radiation barrier. And Sarek is bummed because now he realizes that his son is actually dead. Oh. Like so come on, Kirk, put it together. Remember what? McCoy? Oh, McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> so Kirk thinks if this is so important, then Spock would have tried something. And put it in the last place that anyone would look, McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> come on, dude. <laughs> so they look at the security footage, which was just like it was shot in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. That always bugs me when they do that. They show security footage. Oh. Because cameras and security, they're high up in the room. Oh, yeah. They're not pretty. They're just totally utilitarian yeah it's like the cage then isn't it exactly <laughs> how did you get that shot from outside the ship and they see spock talking with mccoy just after mccoy tried to convince spock not to go in the radiation chamber so they see spock give him the old nerve pinch and then he mind melts with mccoy kirk says that he'll get mccoy and bring him to vulcan so back on genesis savik and david go down to the surface and find spock's tube with all these little creatures on it yeah they're all squirming around the base of the casket salmon pink big grubs they are evolved microbes, David deduces. When they open the space coffin, it's empty besides Spock's burial robe. Mm. Then they hear some crazy echoey scream in the distance and they go to check it out. Now, Kirk tries to get the Enterprise back to take to Genesis to get Spock, but the Admiral, he says, no way, come on, man. You need to let this go. Don't pursue it. It will ruin your career. He says your career stands for rationality, not emotional chaos. Hmm. Is he thinking of Spock? I think he's thinking of Spock. Yeah, he's got confused there. So Kirk seems to be listening to the Admiral. So he just thanks him and mm. then he leaves. And we see Chekhov and Sula waiting for him. And he tells them the word is no. I am therefore going anyway. <laughs> Hooray! Of course he is. Cut to a bar where people are playing hologram video games and there are tribbles on the tables to pet. Yeah. <laughs> the video game that these people are playing is a holographic wireframe of biplanes fighting, mm. which looks so lame compared to what video games we actually have now. Aw, we don't have hologram video games except for in a VR. We don't, <laughs> but it just looks really chintzy 80s. Uh. McCoy is in the seedy bar looking for his alien contact. 
there's a complex makeup job on this guy. He's got four lips in the same mouth, I think, mm, yeah. with feathers for eyebrows. And the guy's got a kind of Yoda speech pattern. He's post-Yoda, trying to ride on that little Jedi's coattails, I yeah, think. <laughs> yeah. McCoy tries to book passage, but the alien is like, that place is super illegal and refuses loudly to McCoy. McCoy starts flipping out and a Starfleet security officer shows up. He seems to have been following McCoy. Oh, McCoy tries to nerve pinch the guy and looks confused that it doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) The security guard treats him like a senile grandpa. Uh. Now in custody, Kirk and Sulu go to the holding cell. The big guard guy calls Sulu tiny. Yeah, totally under the blue. Sulu in amazing leather cape, whips out some moves and says, don't call me tiny. Don't call me tiny. Takei was bent out of shape that they called Sulu tiny. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Yeah. And he really pushed for the line to be changed. But after he saw the movie, he thought it worked. Hmm. Ain't nothing wrong with being short. No, I know. I had to get a couple little boxes brought out for me to put my feet on when we were filming for BBC America. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. (laughs) There's talk of sending McCoy to the Federation funny farm. What do you think of that? Yeah, it's strange that they still use the phrase funny farm in the 23rd century. Yeah, I think we've come further than that already. Yeah. I hope. (laughs) That's one way to get him back for all the snark in those fuck, eh? Yeah. (laughs) Even though he's assigned to the Excelsior, Scotty has been working on the Enterprise, making a slave system to automate most of the Enterprise's functions. Ooh, a slave system? Yeah, so that you've got one system that runs another system that runs another system Mm -hmm. instead of having people run all those. They just call it a slave system. Why do you have to be talking about slaves, man? Why can't it just be a worker system? I don't name these things. (laughs) Okay. This is just what they're called. As Scott is leaving the Excelsior, Captain Styles runs into him and he's really full of himself. He's got even like a baton that he carries with him. (laughs) What's that for? I don't know. He says, hey, Scott, are you ready to break some of the Enterprise's old speed records? And Scotty just kind of smiles and nods along with him. <laughs> and then when he gets into the turbo lift, the computer thanks him. And Scotty says, up your shaft. <laughs> Scotty! <laughs> Why is he doing the drive-by on the elevator? He didn't do anything to him. Uhura is sitting in a transporter council with a young officer. She's in the old city transport station in San Francisco. She's part of this big heist that's going on. Does that mean she won't be going on the mission? Lame. Yeah. And who's that tool she's talking to, the young guy? Just some young officer assigned a crap job. Kirk and the gang show up and Uhura pulls a phaser on the young guy. That's Admiral Kirk, my God. Very good for you, Lieutenant. But it's damn irregular. No destination orders, no encoded IDs. All true. Well, what are we going to do about it? I'm not going to do anything about it. You're going to sit in the closet. The closet? What, have you lost all your sense of reality? This isn't reality. This is fantasy. You want an adventure? How's this? The old adrenaline going? Huh? Good boy. Don't get in the closet. Okay. She tells him that she will meet them at the rendezvous point and beams them to the Enterprise and says, all my hopes. Oh, I love that as a sign-off. Yeah. They all go to the bridge and Scotty has set up this control system so they're able to do the whole ship just from the bridge. Yes, got it. He says a chimpanzee and two trainees could run her. No offense. <laughs> but see, now I wonder, if Scotty can build this thing, why do they need a crew of 400 plus people? <laughs> well, maybe he's advanced the technology since the original series. Yeah, but on future Star Trek, we've got still crews of hundreds of people. All oh, right. Like, maybe they told him, just keep this on the down low because people need jobs. <laughs> It could be. Maybe that's what it is. You need a few history specialists sitting in reserve just in case. I could understand that there'd be a big crew of people 
for missions yep. to planets and things like that. But yeah. actually running the ship. Yeah. <gasps> let's say we double it. Make it eight. Oh, that doesn't look good, does no, it? it doesn't no, really look good at all. jobs happening now. At this point, Kirk gives them an out. He says, look, you guys have helped me at this point. Maybe we can cover for you. Your careers can be salvaged. Yeah. But I'm stealing a ship. It's their whole career on the line, isn't it? Yeah. But they're oh. all like, nope. We're totally in on it. Yeah, we're, of we're, course. We're going to get Spock. He's our gang. What in the world is Chekhov wearing? <laughs> he looks like some <laughs> kind of pink Puritan schoolgirl. <laughs> like an elf in a pink cardigan. Kirk's isn't much better, though. Pale mm. pink blouse with kind of pirate sleeves. Getting back in mustard. You mean gold. Do I? You do. They take the ship out of the station by overriding the doors. The Excelsior is sent to follow it. Lots of slappable faces aboard that ship. There's also a long-headed, bald alien in the background. Who's that? His name is Lance McSmooth. <laughs> it's not. It is, yeah. He's a big character in some of the novels. There's three novels featuring Lance McSmooth. So Captain Stiles says, if Kirk doesn't turn around, he'll never sit in the captain's chair again. Ooh. You can see Kirk sort of think about this, but come on, it's Spock. Yeah. So he orders Sulu to go to warp speed. Styles prepares the Excelsior for transwarp. <laughs> they seem to put on seat restraints for this. But if you don't need them to go at warp, it seems silly that they're needed now. Do I need to remind you how many times they were thrown out of their chairs <laughs> in the original series? They needed them then. <laughs> yeah, they did, actually. Once the Excelsior engages, nothing happens. Something's wrong. Seems Scotty sabotaged the ship. <laughs> Eat it, Styles. The Enterprise escapes. Lovely music by James Horner. This one is called Stealing the Enterprise. It does exactly what it says on the tin. <laughs> Play a little bit. <laughs> Scotty gives McCoy a handful of ship parts and says, from one surgeon to another. I imagine he's seen McCoy do that a few times with gallstones. Do <laughs> 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 a little sound effect. <laughs> so many gallstones so they are off to genesis back on genesis the cacti are covered in snow which can't be good no savik and david see a crying shivering naked figure out in the icy wind it's a young vulcan boy so perm mullet wraps a coat around him <laughs> they conclude that it is spock what how there's not supposed to be any animals of any kind on this planet not yet at all but we've seen some well, those microbes came down on the tube. Mm. So the tube is the only thing that's introduced anything to the system. Spock, mm -hmm. Vulcan. Yes. Spock, Vulcan. But it's a child, though. Well, somehow the Genesis process has regressed Spock's body to a young state, and these microbes have advanced millions of years. It can't be the theory that he's regressed to a child. They don't really explain it. Why can a creature like a microbe evolve probably billions of years to become a multicellular organism and Spock is just kind of turned into a young... It's, and his body's not in there, so it must have become this. It's really... I don't get it. I, it doesn't really matter when you're watching it, does it? No, but, but if you think about the science of this, it's pretty magical. Mm. It's sort of hand wavy. It's the Genesis effect. So they tell the captain of the Grissom that they found Spock alive. Well, sort of. But since he's a by the book guy, he needs clearance from Starfleet before they bring him off planet. He's so much more cautious than Kirk. It's what I've been asking for all this time and I don't like it. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> it's a good thing that they don't beam up, however. Just then, Krug's bird of prey uncloaks. Krug tells his gunner to disable the ship. He wants prisoners, but the gunner blows it up by mistake. The whole ship. Krug yells at him, and in his defense, he says, lucky shot. 
So Krug just disintegrates him on the spot. One of the other Klingons says he found life on the planet. So Krug orders a landing party to beam down. Savik knows that the ship is destroyed and they run off to find some place to hide. And she should also fasten up her coat. I guess the cold doesn't really bother Vulcans too much. Oh, no? I guess. Oh, yeah. Doesn't seem to. It was McCoy who was so frostbitten in all our yesterdays. That's right. Yeah. yeah. On the ride there, Kirk asks McCoy to scan for any pursuing vessels. But when McCoy answers, it's in Spock's voice. Oh, I enjoyed this. Yeah, they were all pretty shocked. <laughs> Krug and the Klingons, my old college band, <laughs> beam down to Genesis and start searching for Savik, David, and baby Spock. <laughs> the Klingons reach Spock's casket, where the salmon-colored creatures have evolved into creepy snakes with pincers. Yeah. Wow, it's happening so fast now. Yeah. Krug strangles one while it strangles him back. Yeah. That was good. Pretty cool. Amazing. I, I thought when I was a kid that was bad. It was really good. Yeah. yeah. Krug wins, then says on his communicator, nothing happening here. <laughs> that is so nonchalant. Yeah, just killing a snakeoid is all in an afternoon stroll for him, you know? <laughs> Savik, while running for her life, still notices Genesis is not doing well, and David fesses up. He's used protomatter in some of his equations. Protomatter is very unstable and illegal. Oh, David. The planet is going to fall apart very soon. This group is causing this crazy weather, the rapid evolution, and Spock's young, grow, old, fast thing. Mm. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it. Spock now looks like the main girl from Stranger Things. Eleven? I thought so. I don't see that. Night falls on the planet and they find a hiding place. David goes off to guard. Now, Spock is a teenager and starts going through his first pawn fall. Oh, no. And Savick knows if he doesn't mate, he will die. What? Yeah. He's a young teenager. Well, do you want him to be dead? Oh, man. No, because if she doesn't do it, he will die. Oh, that's a bold choice. And he's not really a teenager. He's Spock's body with no mind mm. or a primitive mind. So it's all weird. You know, wow. there's nothing in the ethics manuals about oh, this. God. You can't just go around jerking off old guys in a retirement home just because they look like they need it, can you? <laughs> willy-nilly but this is kind of a different situation uh, if that was my service i'd call myself willy-nilly <laughs> oh, oh. willy-nilly's jerk-off service oh boy get those business cards printed up and i think that is probably a dramatic point <laughs> to end the episode we've produced these episodes for bbc america and they will be up immediately so you can just right now go and listen to the next episode yeah and if you're listening to this later when we've done the whole thing in sequence it'll be available next week got all our bases covered shout out to bbc america thanks for your support and encouragement and we're excited to be involved in the project see you for part two of star trek three the search for spot uh with that i'm chris lackey and i'm willie nilly <laughs> you've been listening to rachel watches star trek Star Trek!